0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm your host, Paul Smith of the Geek Podcast, and joining me, as always, are... I'm Eric. And I'm Arlo. And each week, we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series, Avatar The Last Airbender, and its sequel series, The Legend of Korra. Eric and I have seen both of the series before, but this is Arlo's first trip through the world of Avatar, so there will be spoilers, but only up through the episodes that we're discussing tonight. Um, and this week we make our. I'm just going to go ahead and say triumphant return. Uh, we're back from the abyss of eternal hiatus. Regular listeners, you, know, you might have noticed, maybe a four-month gap between episodes of this show. Um, so that was a thing. Uh, that happened. Stuff happened. Was it four months? It was, it was four months. It, it was. It's almost four months. September 29th was the the date we released the last episode, which was actually our hiatus. A notification episode, so it's it's more than that. Since our last actual show-based episode, have we recorded since I was in? Since I went to
1: France, was the was it before? Yes,
0: yes. the the last show episode that we did was
1: you coming back from Paris. Wow! Yeah. All right, so I, I have. completely dislocated in time at this
0: point it's been crazy um but uh yeah we've talked about all of that in in a lot of other places so we're not really going to cover that tonight tonight i'm just going to say that uh we've missed doing this terribly and uh, we're all absolutely thrilled to finally be back back where we belong um so uh, tonight uh, we're going to be picking up right where we left off uh, by discussing three more chapters from the Legend of Korra Book Three. We're, we're doing tonight. We're doing uh, chapters three hundred four, In Harm's Way, three hundred five, The Metal Clan, and three hundred six, Old Wounds. Uh, but before we get into those, does anybody have any banter? Do we anything we want to talk about before we get into the meat of the show?
2: Well, first of all, um, since it has been a few months since we've been around. Um, and you know this is an animation-related podcast. If you like Avatar and Korra, and you have not yet seen Disney's Moana, oh. go check it out. It's super good. It's phenomenal. It's so, so good. I it's... think it's. The, I think it's the best. Um, I think it's the best Disney animated film in years.
1: I, I am uh i've been on record saying this but I, I need to see it more before i'm gonna definitively say this is probably this is true but right now i am leaning that it is the best Dis- of the disney musicals i uh, there are other disney movies that i think equal it but don't quite match it as a musical i, I think this is um this is might be tops to the musical in terms of the overall structure and how the songs link together i, I don't know if anything is playing at the level Disney that this is
0: so what what is the what's the starting point the official or unofficial starting point of Disney musicals versus just Disney animated features is that Little Mermaid no I'd say Snow White Snow well Snow White that was that was the very beginning I mean we you, yeah. you specified yeah. Disney musical well th-
1: there are Disney animated features that don't have music in them not as many of them but there are there's a fair number of Disney feature animated movies that that lack music or mostly lack music, but Disney has a pretty long tradition of musicals. And I'm saying that this is the tops is what I'm saying. Okay. Probably. All right. No, I mean, really like, I mean, like, like you look at, um, like Wreck-It Ralph is a Disney and anim- feature animated movie. It's not a musical. Um, okay. Frozen is, Frozen uh, is. Snow yeah, I White was, is.
0: I, I was racking my brain to try and figure out what, uh, what feature animated Disney films didn't
1: have uh music. emperor's new groove yeah that's right although that one hilariously is a shadow musical if you buy the soundtrack you will see you will hear the songs that would have made up the musical version of the movie really that way. yeah sting wrote musical songs holy
0: shit i had that. no idea this
1: oh. oh there Sting there's a song called walk the llama llama oh my um, god other ones <laughs> oh my um, god
0: the, you're blowing the, my mind because that's one of my favorite disney movies and now i need the secret uh the, secret the soundtrack.
1: It was it was going to be um, called Kingdom of the Sun at one point, and that's the movie that Sting wrote the music for, but it was not working, and Eisner basically was like, you have eight weeks to figure out a new way of doing this movie, or we're shutting you down. Um, and so out came the lunacy of Emperor's New Groove, leaving an angry Sting with a bunch <laughs> of written songs written that were never going to see the light of day in a movie. So that one would have been a musical, but but was not, but... Um, yeah. I mean, but really I think the only other musicals that come close to matching it are the um the Ashman Mencken years mm-hmm. and mostly and, yeah. and I think that even those I don't know if structurally they match how well put together this musical is. It's
2: it's I, amazing. I will say, I think I agree with you on a structural level, and certainly as far as the actual songs themselves go, I think this is the the in those terms is the best Disney musical. I think I'd have to see it again though, see it some more and compare it to like Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. Um, mm-hmm. Aladdin, because I I love those movies. So I, as far as actual quality as a movie goes, I feel like I I need to do some homework before I can make a a statement that bold. Future that's what I'm
0: well, future podcast. Oh,
1: sorry, future. We podcast. should. I would love. I would love to have a talk about Disney musicals. <laughs> I would be all on for that. But you know, I that's why I'm saying if you like take it as a musical, like on a purely on a musical level, I think that its musical game is is second to none. Um, well, we but, know why that is, right? I, I do know why that is. It's it's because of Lin Manuel Miranda. Yeah, he 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 did a lot of great work, and I and I and I'm also I apologize, like I am forgetting the um the Pacific Islander uh, who wrote the um musician who is the, uh, the person he worked with who did also phenomenal phenomenal work on the movie, and I, I don't want to leave him out just because um, uh-huh. even though structurally it's pretty clear this feels like a Lin Manuel Miranda musical. Um, I don't want to discount the contributions of his collaborator.
0: Uh, I'm looking for it right now. I'm not sure I've ever been able to pronounce it, but.
2: uh... I know uh, as far as the the score is also great.
1: uh, Opatia Fowey. I'm not, I apologize. I'm terrible at that, but yeah. Who who you can really hear on We Know The Way. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, you can really, that like, that song is a great feature for what he's doing on it. But that's, um, yeah, just just phenomenal songs and the score is also great and that's done by Mark
2: Mancina. Um, but yeah, that's such a good movie. If you like Avatar or Korra, please check that out. Um, and as far as current animation news goes today, this had sort of been kicked around for a while. I feel like I thought this was already, uh, a a known thing, but Disney just confirmed as of the, uh, the day that we're recording this, uh, uh, January 18th, 2017 for posterity. Um, (laughs) Miles Morales is going to be headlining the uh, animated Spider-Man film that they're working on, in addition to Spider-Man Homecoming in the the Marvel Cinematic Universe Spider-Man stuff. So, on the one hand, I think it's kind of shitty that Miles Morales has to debut as a cartoon.
0: <laughs> yeah, I thought that too.
2: <laughs> but, at the same time, if they do it right, and this is going to be written by Phil Lord... Mm -hmm. Uh, of the lego movie um if they do it right this could be a really great movie and so regardless of whether it's animated or live action if we get a great miles morales in the big screen that's going to be a victory
0: i'm I'm very excited for that i do we have we heard what style animation it's going to be is it going to be uh Hand, like traditional animation or CG. Do we? Know? I, I
2: can't. I can't imagine that it would be two D. I mean, I feel like no one's putting money behind that. Or look, Disney's last two D animated movie was what, uh, Princess and the Frog. Yeah,
0: but this movie. Yeah, is, so but this movie is scheduled to come out in uh, next year, isn't it? That's true. That so is true. They, gotta, they better hustle. <laughs> so, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't
2: know the the animation style. I do know that. Uh, Let's see, the co-directors are uh, Bob uh, Persichetti of The Little Prince, which I really wanted to see but have not yet gotten to, and uh, Peter Ramsey of Rise of the Guardians, which I always have to remind myself, does not feature The Owls of Gahool. <laughs> um, so I haven't seen either of their films, but hopefully, hopefully they're going to knock this out of the park. I, I, nothing would make me happier than a great, well... Some Wait, things they, in life may make me happier, but... but
1: the, is this the studio that did Gohol? Is that what you said?
0: No, no, no. No,
2: no, one of the... the director of Rise of the Guardians.
0: Which is not the Guardians oh, yeah, of okay. Gahul.
1: Which I always confuse oh, Rise with. of the Guardians. Oh, okay, you confuse me. I, I yeah, still yeah. need to see Rise of the Guardians. Me too. Actually. Me too. That was... That was... Del Toro was slightly involved in that, I think.
0: Uh, yeah, as a producer, I, I think. I think you're right, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think he may have had a story credit, too,
2: but yeah. Yeah, so anyway, uh, that's coming out next year, so we'll see
0: how that turns out. See, I want to, I want to, um, I want to like a uh, superhero movie. I want miles Morales done by Leica studios. This,
1: this is where I should probably admit, and I may have to you all before, but it hasn't changed. It's obviously been like 18 years since we've been on a podcast together, but um, I have never read a single thing that has Miles Morales in it. Like not even in passing. I don't even think I've read any of the, the crossover stuff that he popped up in. I I know, I know, that Miles Morales is a person who is Spider-Man who is named Miles Morales. That's what I know about him. Wow. Dude, we have well, to have a longer conversation about
0: this at some point.
1: But I'm not opposed to it, I just never have. I you know, mostly because of my Bendis thing, I kind of got out of ultimate Mm-hmm. So I never went back and picked it back up when he took over because I had sort of tapped out on on that, and that was pretty the only reason I had never read it.
0: Well, there's there's so much more Miles to recommend, and this is a longer conversation for another time. But at the moment, I would say that uh, Marvel's new title Champions is a good place to jump on. Uh, that's written by yeah. Mark Wade, so I think you have less hangups with Mark Wade than you do with uh,
1: Bendis. I, I'm at a point. I, I would go back and read some Bendis stuff. Someone send me when do put it in the show notes. The education of Eric when Miles Morales picks up an Ultimate Spider-Man, and I will use my Marvel Unlimited um, subscription to go read some. Well,
2: I'll tell you, it starts in what uh, Miles Morales Ultimate Spider-Man number one. Oh,
1: it's actually named that. It actually, changed they changed the name. Yeah, yeah, they <laughs> yeah. rebooted the title. Oh, that makes it easier. Then. I thought it was just sort of going to be like all the Ultimate Spider-Man.
2: No, no, they they it, they ended. The, the, the one caveat I will give you is it's it's such a great series, but then it gets, as so many superhero comics these days do, gets totally fucked by An event. corporate by corporate interests where they were get, jettisoning, jettisoning uh, the ultimate universe. And so there are some stories, as you know, and I think this is one of your points of contention with him, Eric, Bendis is a very decompressed storyteller. There are some stories he was very clearly setting up for the long run. And then all of a sudden he found out he wasn't going to have a universe to work with. And so they all like all these big stories he had just spent the last several issues setting up kind of get like they the resolutions all get squashed together and very little of it is satisfying. But when they bring him back, when they actually bring him into the fold of the Marvel universe of the
1: 616 marvel universe it it gets back on track i think should i should i read any of the closing issues of alternate spider-man with peter parker's death is that going to introduce the character is there it, other- no
2: it it, it won't the, i think those are great comic books but no it it will not intru- the only th- i think the one appearance miles had before his own title is um a short there was yeah it was a short in one of the uh in one of the like aftermath of Peter Parker's death books, I don't remember
1: what it was called. Okay, okay, I'll go. I'll go hunting then, and I will. Um, I'm going to be flying to San Francisco on uh, Sunday, and trips are usually a good time to read comic books. So um, if I finished the New Expanse book by then, I will read some of that. Nice, awesome.
0: There you go, Arlo. It's doing the Lord's work, man.
2: That's what I. I try. <laughs> I'm a. I'm a. Oh, uh, what's the what's the line from from Dust Till Dawn? I'm a humble motherfucking servant of God, or something. <laughs> no, I'm a.
1: I'm a uh, no, it's not humble. It's Like I'm a bad. No, I can't what it is now, but it's not humble. He's not that nice. Well, it. insert line from from Dust Till Dawn here. <laughs> um, speaking of which, since we'll all be gone, we will we will not be um, broadcasting again before it happens. I my own bit of 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 pop culture banteriness is I just want to scream enjoy that the expanse is coming back. Yes. February 2nd, um, which the, I've been – I was a fan of the books before the TV series, and sometimes you like the TV series just because you like the books. You're like, I, it's fun watching this play out. Game of Thrones has kind of been like that for me where I don't know if I, how much of a fan I would have been without the books. Maybe I would have been. I'm just not sure, but I kind of watch it because of the books. The Expanse, if I never had read the books or if you told me the books were gone and I was going to have to read it, watch it on TV, I'd be fine. I adore the television series. I,
0: I have never read the
1: books, uh, but I fucking love the show. It's Great stuff. So uh, hop on. There's actually um, Sci-Fi Channel released a recap of season one with cats. And <laughs> I strongly suggest you watch that, whether you oh need to God. recap or not.
0: Oh, my God. That's crazy. I, I
1: will I will find it and I will send it to you, Paul, because there is a cat with Miller hair. And...
0: Well, that sounds absolutely awful, but I have to see it. So.
1: That's what I've got. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm bantered.
0: <laughs> You're bantered out. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I have any banter to share. I, I think you guys covered it pretty well. So we can just uh, get right back to doing what we do best, or at least what we do passably well, which is talk about uh, The Legend of Korra. So let's get to the first episode tonight, uh, 304 in Harm's Way. Arlo, you are, as always, our noob. So you get of to course. kick us off. Um, what did All you right. think about In Harm's Way? Which actually, f- to set the stage, this uh, this is sort of the second half of uh, a story that we left off with four months ago.
2: Yeah, I'm really glad that I, that uh, you put the, the, the uh, bee in my bonnet to, to rewatch the first three episodes of book three. Because,
1: yeah, if I had not, I would have been completely lost. Although although the the problem with that is that I did the same thing, and I'll be curious how how badly I screwed this up. I'm now not entirely certain which things happened in the episodes I rewatched and which <laughs> ones were the ones I, I watched for this. I'm pretty clear <laughs> on it, but I might make a mistake. This is why you take notes, Eric.
2: I took four pages of notes for these episodes, 1,100 words. <laughs> and I say that so the audience at home knows that uh, it's even more embarrassing when I sound as dumb as i'm going to on this episode (laughs) gondor has no notes gondor needs no notes um but uh no i I, am really glad that we're back uh with cora it had been a while since i'd been in the avatar world and it was I, i was very glad to be back um what i think is interesting is this is an episode of uh in harm's way is an episode of jailbreaks um, this show has so, a lot to do with prisons and jailbreaks. I, I mean, can, the Avatar universe as uh,
0: at, at large. Can can I can I reveal the very first note? I took notes as well. Not four pages, but I took notes as well. The very first note I have here. Can I reveal? It says, yes, you can. It says there are a lot of prison breaks in the world of Avatar, and then I I cited them in in the original series. We had The ones that I could think of were in episode 106, Imprisoned, which we very famously <laughs> discussed. <laughs> uh, yes, we don't have to get back into that. Episode 113, The Blue Spirit, um, was kind of a prison break. And then uh, The Boiling Rock was a two-part, uh, was two episodes, a two-part prison break. And then in uh, Legend of Korra, we've had, I, I can't remember if there were any in books one and two, but in, basically it's all we've gotten in book three. There's been, a, there's been at least one prison break in every episode we've discussed so far.
2: Well, Paul, in book two, Varric broke out of prison. Oh, you're right. See?
1: So wow. I think... I, I had no idea that, that Legend of Korra was a stealth prison break <laughs> uh, reboot. <laughs> and, you know, since, since we have
2: Lin Beifong as a central character who is the chief of police, I don't know. I feel like... She needs to be taken to task yeah. and not in the way she is later on. I mean, what, 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 there is something wrong with our law enforcement system in, in the world of Avatar if there are prison breaks every other well, day. Hey, well, hey,
0: her job is just be, to put them there, she doesn't have to keep them there.
1: Exactly. She's not a prison guard. And also, with the exception of Varric, I don't think anyone has broken out of pr- one of her prisons in Republic City. That's it's right. really just Varric. That's right. Other than that, it's all these like it's these black sites that the White Lotus is running. That these people are breaking out. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah That's fair. The Avatar Guantanamo That's Bay. Fair. Um <laughs> and, and actually Varric would uh, takes exception to the the idea that he broke out of prison. The universe decided that he needed to be free.
2: That's true. So. That's true. But back to back to this episode. Um, I wanna say that opening the, the opening jailbreak in this episode, the opening battle,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, with Zuko and uh, Eska and Desna and uh, Zahir and his his Brotherhood of Evil Benders, mm-hmm. um, w- was phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I, I I I loved everything about that. I mean, just z- fucking Zuko's dragon, right. How fucking cool is that? I still, I, I also, so I, in preparation for this, I also, uh, listened back to the last real episode of the show that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just have to say again, I still agree with myself from four months ago. That is not what Zuko would sound like as an old man. <laughs> That's just, it just doesn't work. I have to just, I, every time he speaks, I just have to, I don't know. My mind has to overcome it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But anyway he has a cool fucking dragon and that really that makes up for everything it does it really does and I know she's like evil and shit but Ming-Hua is seriously badass (laughs) with with her water arms I mean Mm -hmm. that shit is awesome yeah
1: (laughs) yeah yeah. so this is probably as good a time as any to call out I you know uh, I've mentioned like in passing my like my pre feelings on every season, like what I thought the first time through. And I, and I think I had mentioned that season three, um, I had, uh, a sort of a love hate relationship with it and that I liked it, but there were a lot of things about it that really frustrated me. And this episode gets to the, um, expl- sort of the reason why I found this season frustrating, although I'm actually finding it less frustrating this time through, it's actually not bothering me as much. And maybe that'll be the case, but, um, Zaheer and his crew, are maybe ludicrously overpowered compared (laughs) to everyone else. Like, and this battle really shows that, I mean, you have Zuko in this battle and a dragon. Yeah. And and they still smack the crap out of them. I mean, I realize Zuko's getting old, but you also have a guy who learned airbending in two weeks and is now, like, (laughs) kicking the crap out of everyone with his airbending powers. So this is definitely like pure comic book escalation of villain powers with this group. It is. I mean, they, they at least say outright this team, these people are the most powerful vendors in the world, but there's no justification to it beyond that. And the, the further we, I go into this season, I am going to be rechecking my, why the hell is the that powerful, um, gut check. So and whether it bothers me as much.
0: I, I also, uh, revisited our previous episode just to remind myself <laughs> what we had talked about. And, uh, we did address at that point, we addressed our our questions slash concerns with why the hell is the such a badass already? Um, and we kind of in that episode, we sort of fanwanked you in particular, uh, Eric, you offered up sort of your fanwank or your your theory on perhaps why the here is is as powerful as he is, that being that he's he, as he stated, he's, been a disciple of the, the sort of air nation philosophy his whole life. He's, he's studied this kind of stuff. Um, I pointed out that uh, clearly even before he was a bender, he must've been some kind of badass because uh, they locked him up in one of their insane out of, out in the middle of nowhere black site prisons. Um, and, uh, and that, and you know, that was, that was before he was a bender. So um, the, the, In our conversation about that, I feel like we all were kind of like, all right, sure, whatever, I buy that. I don't know what has changed in the four months since we recorded, but as I'm getting back into watching the show, that seemed perfectly natural to me. Um, Like, I agree, they are ridiculously overpowered, and it is very clearly the whole comic book trope of, uh, you know, the X-Men could defeat, uh, you struggled to defeat this bad guy in this episode, so or in this Issue so next issue we need to introduce somebody that's ten times as powerful Um, But for some for some reason, I'm not struggling with the notion
1: of these guys being so powerful As I had been it did not bother me in the like I'm irritated sense Which I don't and I actually don't know what point in the season It did irritate me the first time through like actually was like oh my god, come on So I may not hit that feeling at all But this definitely reminded me because this was the first time they went up against characters that we knew Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we saw es- Eska and Desna be serious physical threats to our characters right through the entire last season, and in this they get their their asses handed to them very quickly. but yes, I am holding on to the fan link of that Zahir was basically a muggle airbender martial artist right. and <laughs> now has powers and thus knows all of the forms and now it just makes air,
2: happen. yeah, so look, I think I had a pretty good explanation in our last episode. He's been in prison for like twenty years. People in prison come out
0: <laughs> jacked. That's right,
2: that's so right. So if he gets if he has airbending for two weeks, he spent every single second of those two weeks fucking mastering airbending. So
1: I'm okay with it, you guys. My logic, so, airtight. So <laughs> airtight, nice nicely done. Um so yeah, he just he went through the um the uh IRO school of prison. Um, yes, exactly. exercises. Exactly.
2: Yes. If, wow. if Iroh can do it, anybody can do it.
1: <laughs> anyways, yes, I agree. This fight was good, although I was definitely, I had the voice in the back of my head where I was like, I don't know, am I going to deal with this this time? But it, really, I came out of it being mostly okay. Um, except for the fact that their dragon was like, or Zuko's um, strategy with his dragon was so stupid as to shoot fire at the person who needed warmed up. <laughs> To get her powers
0: back. Well, I, you know, I thought that too, and I rewatched the episode again today, and I was looking closely, and Zuko wasn't on the dragon at that point. Okay. So All right, that Zuko helped. had already this dismounted. Dragon... So that was the dragon's choice.
1: Idiot.
2: <laughs> Looks like Zuko needs to learn how to train his
1: dragon. Oh, nice. Ooh. Nice. Anyway, Carlo, you can go ahead about the episode. Sorry. This was, I, <laughs> I, I, I needed to, to get that out. So good. Right, go ahead. Sorry.
2: Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, that was, that was a great fight. Um, and then of course at the end of the episode, we get, uh, Cora and the gang. Uh, so hold on. We had the Aangang. gang. What's Cora's crew called? Is it Cora's crew?
0: I, Is it, I just call them team Cora, but Cora's crew kind of sounds funny.
2: Okay. Well, Cora's crew, uh, breaks out the, uh, the airbenders that are being conscripted by the earth queen. Um, in between that, we go back to Ba sing Se and uh, you know Mako and Bolin are given uh passports by creepy supreme leader worshipping <laughs> Granny. Um and I really did love um when they're leaving their family, uh Bolin, you know, j- just as Bolin I had such an immediate attachment to Kai, who was very clearly being a little douchebag, um, but he still thought of him as an innocent, innocent little kid. As as they're leaving, Bolin attempts to say goodbye to every single person in the room who he doesn't even know, and
0: he's like, "Big T, little T, medium U, and you. What was your name again?" That that was a that's a PJ Byrne improv, by the way. That's that's so great.
2: That that is that is so perfectly Bolin. <laughs> Medium you <laughs> Medium <laughs> U. <you. laughs> but yeah, no, that was that was great. Um, but then uh, we see uh, the, the return of Eric's favorite, the Dylee. Mm-hmm. Oh God!
0: Um, with the the with Li... uh, the drill sergeant. Anybody catch who was voicing the drill sergeant? No. Was it was it Arlie Ermy? No, no, that would have been amazing. No, Gary Cole. Oh. Really? Yeah.
1: Wow. Okay. <laughs> They, nice. man, they, this show burns uh, right? good actors right? on some seriously weird roles. <laughs> I I really
0: wish Gary Cole had a had a much larger role, but uh,
2: whatever. It's pretty cool though. Um uh, but yeah, anyway. Um so we see them trying to tra- train uh the conscripted airbenders into a fighting militia for the Earth Queen, and we begin to get a hint that Kai is not just a little shit He may be a little shit With a heart of gold um, As he shows mercy To his fellow airbenders Much to uh, Much to the Dylees uh, Much to Gary Cole's disapproval <laughs> um, And then uh, Korra's crew uh, Breaks them out And uh, the Earth Queen is defeated uh, By Oogie hmm. That was pretty cool Uh, Which I guess makes sense. So the fact that she hates animals and never has them around, the fact that she's never been around animals in her life, that means she's allergic to all of them.
0: Right. This is the this is the avatar equivalent of a peanut allergy. Do
1: you do you think that do you think that Tenzin's pitch that your best friend will be a buffalo would (laughs) go over better if they knew that that buffalo could defeat the (laughs) Earth Queen? Excuse me. Do you mean a bison? Bison. I'm sorry air bison wow wow. been a while guys told you i'm off my game (laughs) wow
0: you just got fact checked you just got mansplained you got arlo splained
1: oh man
2: that is the worst kind of splaining oh (laughs) jeez. um uh but along the way uh we learn a couple things uh one is that valuable lessons we 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 did we the the more you know, Paul. Okay. Uh, we we got like this episode is basically nothing but wall to wall, uh, GI Joe epilogue <laughs> scenes. Um, don't leave the the burner on. Uh, <laughs> but, but anyway, we learn that Janora uh, still retains her abilities from last season that threatened to turn her into a a sort of mystical inhuman figure. She can much to everyone's surprise she can still astral project. Right. And so that's how they find Kai because she, she realizes that the reason she was able to find coral last season is because she had such a strong connection to Cora and because she has a burgeoning connection with Kai, she's able to use that to find him.
0: That's great. Uh, great tens in reaction to that too. What do you mean? A connection?
1: Yeah. That was, that was great. His eyes uh, eyes
0: go wide and he tugs on the beard. That's great.
1: (laughs) You can tell that Legend of Korra is, um, is using the second edition role-playing game rules for this because (laughs) everyone gets, um, power specializations, um, which were very rare in the first edition, but only NPCs really got them. But now the PCs can get those specializations as well. Are you speaking English?
0: He's speaking RPG, Arlo, and I approve.
2: Well, I know that you approve, and that's all i need to hear okay um but uh but yeah so um, i guess my question is when she announces that she can still do these things that she has retained these abilities everyone is surprised is it a fl- is it a flaw that i don't know that it just seemed really convenient all of a sudden um Oh you know, yeah! I remember all that stuff I did last last season? Guess what, guys? You need me to do it now, so I can.
0: Well, it's worth pointing out. It's worth remembering that uh, it's only been two weeks since harmonic convergence.
2: Okay. I, yeah, I guess that is worth worth pointing out because I I, I don't know how time works. On this show,
1: <laughs> stop there. I don't know how time works.
2: <laughs> who, who do you think I am, Stephen Hawking? I don't know how time works. Um, how much time has passed since the beginning of the show? Because uh, I know, I, know, I know. Cora sums up the at, at one point during these episodes. Cora sums up the events of the first season. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything with the Equalist And she says that was a crazy couple months
0: I, I, Well I think uh, I think there were Two or three months between book one And book two I don't know how long each Each season itself lasts But I think there were a couple months between Season one and two and then there's two weeks between Season two and three
2: So we're looking at all of this Has taken place in less than a year
0: Yeah somewhere in that vicinity
2: Story Story time is always so weird To me <laughs> yeah. Like like, I think, wasn't there a moment in Breaking Bad where we were supposed to believe this had all happened, like, in less than a year or something? Like, four seasons of the show? I don't remember uh, I, that. I, I, I kind of, I think, I think so. I don't know. That, that stuff always weirds me out. It just doesn't seem right. So,
1: I, so I'm looking this up, and um, it was, w- the year 170 was the first season, and we are in um, 171 right now. So it's been a a year, a year-ish
0: since the beginning. Yeah,
2: a year or less, I guess. Okay. Interesting. Um, But anyway, I'm glad that that, uh, let let me
0: let me just say that may be addressed in 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 the future, Arlo. Okay, got it. (laughs) I'll just be mysterious Um, about that. (laughs) um, I am
2: glad that they brought her harmonic convergence abilities back, though, because. Just as last season, we were worried they were taking her to too much of an extreme in that regard. I also think it would have been a mistake to just immediately revert her back to, Mm -hmm. you know, a harmless little girl. Um, So I don't know. I'm glad that they're they're making her more grounded and human this season, but also still able to do the
1: same crazy cosmic shit. It's really just astral projecting at this point.
0: That's true. It's I, not
1: really like empowering massive things. It's it's not that big.
0: Zahir and his his people are the are basically the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. So we need to start building up our our Airbender, our Air Nation X Men
1: team, and uh, you know this is right.
0: This is we're starting to yeah. get that.
1: When someone has water arm powers, lava bending, um, air bending in two weeks, <laughs> and. Um, combustion lady powers with actual other firebending powers which combustion man never showed.
2: Like Hold on, hold on, hold on. Did you did you say combustion lady powers?
0: Yeah. <laughs> she's I not don't combustion know what man. The... She's no, not she's combustion, combustion man, lady. she's combustion lady.
2: I know, but just the you said combustion and then I heard I didn't hear combustion lady powers. I heard combustion lady powers and to me that's
1: you know, emphasis is everything Eric and that's well, I think, completely different I think you need to do some self inquisition as to why you heard the emphasis that way because that is on <laughs> you and not on me
2: <laughs> alright well well, episode 300 of Gobbledy Geek is quickly approaching so I'm yeah. sure we'll dig right into that um, so another thing that we learn um, along the way is that uh, Zaheer and his Brotherhood of Evil uh, Benders tried to uh the reason they were all locked up is that they attempted to kidnap cora when when she was a small child and everyone realized that she was the avatar mm-hmm.
0: and that also answers uh the question of why um ang and cora's uh, parents had uh made the choice to lock her away basically to keep that, that's to keep her true hidden. yeah that's a good point and uh, I was I was doing some research, and apparently that scene where uh, where Lin shows up and is explaining is that here is an Airbender now, and and you know they tried to kidnap Korra. There was going to be they had planned in the script there was a flashback there, and we were going to get to see that kidnapping attempt. So I just want you to weep at the loss of a potential flashback to Chief Sokka helping defend uh. little Korra from That's, oh America.
1: man and, and, and honestly you know like from a uh, that would have been an actually a really good opportunity to establish what Zaheer's threat was like right before he had airbending powers yep, which I actually agree. would have been really useful to answering the concerns we brought up
0: I, I agree I, I feel like that is I mean they they say they cut it for time but I really feel like they should have found a way they should have trimmed elsewhere and found a way to put that in
1: yeah It would have been been really helpful to understand what they were like, but, and also Chief Sokka. Although that would have meant that Sokka would have gotten his, his ass kicked by Zaheer. That's what, (laughs) that would have meant.
0: Maybe that's why they didn't want to do it. They couldn't bring themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the episode
2: ends on a very moving moment as they, you know, the, the, in the previous episode, they spent all this time very memorably with the the chibi raiders of the Lost Ark map trying to recruit – trying and failing miserably to recruit new airbenders to the cause. And now they are confronted – or Tenzin is confronted with an entire group of young airbenders who jump at his offer to go to the Northern Air Temple and learn more. About their culture and their abilities and to train, and he he wells up as they all tell them tell them that they're they're ready to go and that was such a a good moment he's such a uh, to end on
0: he's such a soft he is Tenzin is the best he's so delicate and emotional for a character voiced by uh,
1: <laughs> j k Simmons J k
0: Simmons yeah I was trying to think it's of his true. name from Oz was it schiller what, what or... Of uh, Vern Schillinger. Schillinger. How was that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Eric, did you have anything to add about the, this episode?
1: No, I mean, it was, I think it was a good, I, this, this episode feels like it really kicked the season into gear. Like this feels like the, the turning point from setting a lot of stuff up to things moving in directions that they're really going to move the, you know, the, the prologue stuff of the, brotherhood of evil mutants getting set up has finished. And now the airbenders are going off for their training. In fact, the whole, the team um, kind of splits a little bit at this point. Well, at least Tenzin splits off. So it feels like we've moved into the season proper at this point, which is exciting.
0: I, I, um, I want to say a couple more things about this episode before we move on. First of all, uh, combat, 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 well, I, the, the fight scenes and the choreography is a thing that I, cannot stop gushing about since the very beginning of this podcast series. And it's only going to get worse as we continue on through Cora, because uh, I feel like the, the fight choreography just gets better and better with every single episode. Um, In this episode, we actually get two fights uh, that are well, three technically Arlo, you already mentioned the opening, the prison break, and then the, the finale of the, the episode is them trying to get out of bossing, say with the Airbenders. But uh, the other fight I want to mention is the hallway fight with um, uh, Mako Bolin, Jinora. Oh yeah, when they're res- when they're rescuing Kai. Um yeah. Just because I loved the the choreography that had to happen in that cramped space, and I loved the creative ways that Bolin would hurl you know, chunks of the wall to the side and then someone would use the floor to launch them. So I don't know, just that kind of stuff, the the creative way that they use space. um, I just love that. And then uh, there's like one fight I want to talk about in each of the following episodes. But uh, there were three in this first one. Nice. And then uh, the last thing I'll say about this is uh, it was kind of a throwaway line. um, And I, I, can neither confirm nor deny if this issue Is ever taken up again in the season But in this episode there's a Throwaway line that Boomy has he actually Raises a pretty serious issue um, when. Oh yeah you're right Yeah when when they're talking about uh, You know how dare the queen Kidnap these airbenders and, and force them into her army or whatever And he's like well Actually the earth queen has a Right to cons- conscript her own Citizens and then everyone looks at him And he's like what it's true uh, he's right. I mean, you may you may disagree with that you the, there's a question about whether it's morally right or not, but in terms of you know regal power structure that seems like a thing that she probably has the right to do
1: well and actually to that to that end, what I think is interesting, and I think we'll talk more about this in the next uh, the next episode too, because it comes up again. but A lot of the problems that Team Avatar faces in this episode that will echo out for a while, actually, comes from the fact that they never solved the Earth Kingdom problem last in Avatar. Right. That they just sort of restored the monarchy, which was clearly a mess in the first place, and let it continue rolling on, even though that was half the problem. And now that same cruddy institutional system that caused all those problems for Aang is— rolling right along and performing the same crappy bad actions they were back then which i actually really like i really really like that the problems in the earth kingdom are the exact problems in the earth kingdom that we saw in season two and three of avatar yeah so screw the earth kingdom is what i'm (laughs) saying and to hell with the Dai Li. but you're right paul that fight was amazing (laughs) yeah actually i forget about the first fight because i think the second fight is so good
2: yeah I actually uh, another quick fight uh, note is that I love when the Daili shoot out their flying hands. The Airbenders just like smash them to pieces with their yeah. with their bending. Yeah. That was that was pretty great.
0: Um, okay, so we will move on to the next one. Uh, chapter, Let's do it. Chapter three hundred five: The Metal Clan, Arlo. Um, I am so glad.
2: That Lin Beifong is back in action after she was so mishandled last season, where she was made out to be an idiot for plot reasons last season. Here we're actually we're we're getting Lin Beifong back and actually beginning to dig deep into, you know, who she is, why she is the way she is, finding out more about her family and her past, and I am all about it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I awesome. agree. It's it's her. It feels like her again. And it's it's it digs into things so well. These next the, both this episode and the next episode are just a Beifong uh, showcase. It's wonderful.
2: Yeah, I, I thought the uh, In Harm's Way was great. But these these two episodes, the the Metal Clan and Old Wounds, I thought were phenomenal.
0: You want to just talk about them as a as a unit? Sort of... i feel like
2: we may as well because they, they they're basically a two-parter yeah they are yeah. they they go together so well so uh cora's crew that's just what i'm gonna call them now <laughs> okay. sorry uh the or no the cora crew all right that's what i'm calling them uh the cora crew uh makes their way to uh zalfu because they've they've gotten wind oh jeez. <clears throat> That there are some... there. There's a new airbender there. So they're heading to Zaofu, which is an entire city made of metal. And as Bolin points out, you should be right at home, Beifeng. But she's very clearly not thrilled about the prospect of going there. And my first thought was, uh, because we don't know a lot about her past besides the fact that she and Tenzin worked together at one point, um, I was thinking maybe it's because... Toph is there and she didn't have a good relationship with her mother um, but as we find out it's actually because her sister is there, uh, Suyin who uh, founded Zaufu. Um and so we get to learn about, uh, you know, this is the first time they've seen each other in 30 years and though uh, Suyin is very accepting of uh, Lin and at this point I should say It turns out the bender that they're there to to find is Suyin's daughter, Lin's niece, Opal. Um, Toph's granddaughter. Toph's granddaughter. That's
0: right. I also, I, I just want to take this moment to point out that, uh, um, Bolin was very clearly looking forward to meeting Toph. Like he, he clearly has like this sort of hero worship for the, the greats from the Avatar, the last airbender era. Um, and was seemed so excited that he was going to get to meet the Toph, uh, which turns out to not be the case, but he starts developing feelings for Toph's granddaughter. So uh.
2: very quickly, I might add, (laughs) like that. He's Bolin. He's Bolin. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Um, but, but, uh, but yeah, so Yin is uh, clearly whatever happened between the two of them over the years. Yin has her, perception of things has changed she's very she wants to be accepting of Lynn Lynn meanwhile has, has only hardened her resolve she absolutely hates her sister and blames her sister for tearing the family apart um, and I like that uh, we find out what happened between them and it's a very it's a very complex issue for a number of reasons. One of them is that we get a sort of, we get an idea of what Toph was like as a mother. And I've said this, um, for, for years, not on this show, but I've just in life that no matter how good your parents are, no matter how good you think your parents are, they are going to fuck you up in some way. So it doesn't matter your parents' best efforts are going to fuck you up in some measure. And, and, so, and no matter
0: no matter how much we all loved Toph from Avatar: The Last Airbender, I think all of us could probably agree that uh, she's an amazing character. But she seems more likely than most to to mess up her kids.
2: Right. What did she in, in the comics? What does she
0: call her students? Um, I can't remember. Li- it was something livers, profoundly
1: or... not nice.
0: Yeah, it was Lily livers or something like that.
1: Yes,
2: yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, but basically we find out that according to her daughters, she, she, one, they never met, um, their parents and the fact that Yin is a collector of rare meteorites leads me to believe Sokka may be her father. I don't know. Interesting. And I don't. And I, I don't want to get any confirmation or denial of that. Okay. But that popped into my head because it, it's made very clear that they they come they came from different fathers, um, but they never met their fathers. Uh, but anyway, uh, Toph was very lenient in her parenting of them. She gave them a great deal of freedom, but what that meant is that they got locked into a struggle of, you know try they were in competition for their mother's time and attention and so uh lin became a- against you know i don't know what her dreams were but she she became a uh, police you know she she became a police officer rose in the ranks to, to the point where she's now chief um because that that was what her mother did whereas su yin went in the complete opposite direction and started palling around with criminals um, she became, uh, either. I mean, she says she was just doing a favor for some friends, but she became a getaway driver for the territory ad, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, not great. Um, and Lynn is the one who finds her, uh, as the getaway driver and arrests her. And in the midst of the arrest, uh, she Lynn shoots out one of her metal cables to to grab onto Su Yin, Su Yin takes out a blade and cuts the cable. The cable whips back and slices Lin's face, and that's how she got those scars. Um, and I really liked learning how she got the scars because honestly, like I maybe I wondered initially how she got them, but it had gotten to a point where I had just accepted that as what she looked like. Mm-hmm. I wasn't actively thinking, how did she get those scars? Um but I liked finding out and I liked learning that it was v- something very personal, uh, you know, impactful on a personal level. Um, beyond just, you know, I mean, it w- it's going to be impactful if your face gets scratched up permanently, but that it actually was on like a personal emotional level. Um, and then Lynn claims that this event tore the family apart because, uh, you know, Toff had to send Suyin away, because you know the chief of police couldn't have this kind of scandal and then she retired the next year did she want to did she do it out of necessity it's it was a whole thing and i like that we get to learn all of this and it it, it deepens it deepens lin as a character and tells us a lot about su yin because we for for ourselves we can contrast the wild reckless su yin of the past and the Su Yin, who, because she was given so much freedom by being sent away, got a completely new life, founded a, a, an entire city and was able to, uh, you know, provide her family with such a life that Opal says at one point, I don't think I've ever had a bad meal.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so it's very interesting to see the differences between these two sisters.
0: Also... Um... It's it's also interesting that uh, you know Lynn followed very closely in her mother's footsteps, uh, footsteps because she was seeking her mother's approval. That didn't work. Like her, she she clearly right. never ended up getting Toff's, uh, at least the level of Toff's approval that she was looking for. Uh, whereas the rebel daughter who did everything she could to not be like uh, Toff Beifong and and uh, it, you know apparently drove Toff to retire and all that stuff. Um it it may have taken years, but she now has, supposedly she now has a wonderful relationship with her mother. Like they've they've patched all this up and and she is now living a, a wonderful life, and she's at peace, and she has a family where uh, Lynn is, as Cora very painfully says, at the end of uh, chapter 305, uh, she is a, a lonely, bitter woman. Uh, because she was trying to, she was trying to be her mother to please her mother.
1: Yeah. And and what I, what I really like about the, the event that splits them all up is that it's not really clear exactly, like neither Lin nor um, Suyin are entirely um, blameless or entirely at fault. And what happens? Lin is way overboard trying to arrest Suyin and is obviously trying to prove something, and so Ian's really just trying to cut herself loose. She's not trying to hurt Lin mm-hmm. in what she does. So I really like that the this core like angry memory that drives a lot of what we're seeing, it sort of encapsulates their problem is that is more is like not it's not easily pinned on one person or another and I think that was a really deft bit of storytelling to treat it that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I agree. And we learn we get to see these flashbacks thanks to an acupuncturist.
0: It's, it's, I love that oh my scene. gosh I
1: forgot that was out that was the the thing that long acupuncture scene.
0: Oh my favorite part of that acupuncture scene is when uh, when Lynn like shocks herself out of it and shoots the needles all around the room and then like the acupuncturist yeah, yeah. Is, is ducking behind a desk and he stands up and he's got some needles sticking out of his head. <laughs>
1: that that's pretty great i have to say that metal bending acupuncturist was one of the show's uh clever uses of bending yep
2: very yeah. well done very cool. they have so many clever uses of bending so, so many of them um but uh before we get to their uh their big fight just more about uh Yin and opal um i like that we see so Again, Lynn is the one who tried to become her mother, and became a, a law and order figure. Whereas we see Su Yin because she's just had so much freedom for all of her life, she is very liberal in her politics. You know, she's uh, she makes some comments about the Earth Queen, and you know, which prompts Lynn to say, "Oh, suddenly my 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 sister's an expert on global politics," and you get the sense that. Su Yin is is a pretty liberal, uh, perhaps progressive person, but at the same time, she has a liberal liberal arts degree. Come on, you can say <laughs> it <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but at the same time, she is doing the opposite of what her mother did to her. She does not want Opal to leave. She does not want Opal to go to the Northern Air Temple, even though you know it, Opal doesn't is it, probably. Afraid's maybe the wrong word, but she's, she's nervous about telling her mom that she wants to go to the Northern air temple because she's, because Sue Yin is so adamantly against it.
0: The, the degrees, the the complexity of these relationships is just amazing. Like, I feel like these writers, these two shows have pulled it off, you know, all the way through. But in this particular instance, it's just so brilliant because, uh, Sue, um, she had all that freedom and that's uh, informed the person that she is now. And on the surface, she's giving that same freedom to her children. Her children are also liberal arts majors. Her children also are pursuing whatever their passions are and they're free to do whatever the hell they want. But clearly that does not include leaving. (laughs) That does not include going anywhere else to do that. Um, I don't know. It's just so, there's so many contradictions in characters and, and, uh, and they make sense. They're not like – I don't think they're bad character traits. They are the kind of inconsistencies and, and contradictions that you get in real people.
1: And, the – oh, sorry, Eric. Go ahead. No, and well, what I really like about the way this series shows their deafness and, like you're saying, their their ability to create these character relationships is, as a result, since they're reusing either characters from Avatar or the descendants of, this show creates a better sense of legacy – Than almost any show I've or thing I've read where you jump generation ahead and things always strike this awkward balance of trying to, like, say what happened with other characters and what their kids are. And it always feels a little forced. And in this, everything feels like the natural result of the things that would have happened since the last time we saw these characters or those characters, parents. And so not only are these relationships really complicated and interesting, they feel like they are naturally have grown from what we saw and knew of the characters who influenced them on the way down.
2: Yeah, I I completely agree. I think the writing of of the characters in the show and this these relationships in particular rivals that of any, you you know, family drama. On, on, on TV period uh, It's so complex and so Nuanced it's it's Absolutely marvelous
0: And, yeah, and totally. uh, The whole Issue of family has been uh, In the, the DNA Pardon the pun of the series since The beginning of uh, Avatar <clears throat> Obviously in Avatar You had uh, Zuko dealt with His father and sibling issues Throughout the entire series but In Korra, we've had Mako and Bo Lin kind of had to deal with sibling stuff in book one. Uh, In book two, we had Aang's, all of Aang's kids, Tenzin and Kaya and Bumi and the relationship that they have with each other and uh, their departed father. Um, And now we get uh, Lin and Sue. So I just, I don't know. It's it's clear that um, I'd say... In a lesser show, you could say these writers are just rehashing the same plot over and over again, but uh, it doesn't feel that way in this. It feels like there's there are stories to be told uh, with these issues, and they're, they're finding different ways. Different characters deal with it in different ways. I don't know. It's it's beautiful. It's nuanced and incredible, and, and I love every bit of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. So...
2: You mentioned Paul. There's a fight. In, there's a fight in every one of these episodes that is really fantastic, and I assume that for. Well, I know we're talking about these episodes as a unit, but as far as old wounds go, I assume you're talking about the clash between Lynn and Sue. I uh,
0: yeah, absolutely. Do um, do we, we want to step back and mention the fight from the previous episode first? Sure. Uh, that would be the. Uh, uh, I almost said Katara. The Kaya versus Zahir fight.
1: Yeah, yeah. That that was a great fight. As much as Zahir's like vague overpoweredness sometimes like irks me, um, I I will say that this fight was very satisfying
0: to me. One of the things that's so great about it, it was super short. Uh, but one of the reasons it was great is it's it's kind of the first time that we see Zahir really put back on his heels and kind of struggling in a fight. Uh, I mean, it, it's brief and he only struggles a little bit. Um, but it's just interesting that it's Kaya that we get to see do that. She's she plucks him out of the air and smashes him down, and then he has to break out of the ice. Like it really takes him a second to to get his footing. Where I feel like pretty much every other fight we see him in, he he easily handles whoever he's up against. The, the
1: this fight occurs. I due to the sad lack of wanted posters in this universe. Um, (laughs) Well, the team avatar always has wanted posters of them. There we go. Exactly. So apparently when the fire nation went down, they banished wanted posters along with them.
0: (laughs) Well, now, hang on. To be fair, uh, this is in shaved stealth mode.
1: Yes, this is. He has done the Clark Kent thing (laughs) and um, has made himself unrecognizable. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which I, I actually think that's cool because that also gives us the moment. Not only is Kaya a badass bender, but it gives us the moment where she fucking figures it out. There's yes. She's talking to him. She suspects something. And then she's like, wait a minute. Is, is,
1: is yeah. this three separate hair and facial health, facial hairstyles in five episodes for Zaire? Cause I think it is. Uh... Cause he has the long beard at first. And then he's got like a short beard. Did he have a short beard? And hept hair? It, when he breaks um, Polly out, I thought that she had. I thought he had a completely different facial hair in those episodes. Like after he shows back up outside of um, the prison. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to check that out, but uh... I, I'll, I'll do some sooner. But yes, my my read on it was that he had he had like gotten out of prison and kept himself like he had taken <laughs> care of you know like some uh-huh. of that like prison hair, and then was like, well shit, now I've got to shave it all off for this undercover mission, and the poor guy. Yeah, yeah, he definitely does. He okay. has he has pure Iro in prison <laughs> facial hair and hair at the beginning, uh, and then he's got this like this like kempt like I don't even know like not a mustache like no mustache to the thing, just sort of like a very kempt beard and his hair in a ponytail, and then he's shaving. So three, how many times the animated series do that change facial hair or hair at all on a character? let alone basically come up with three character designs in five episodes. And
0: such a nice touch. The scars are a brilliant touch. Yes. He's always had the scar on the eyebrow, but now that he's shaved his head, we see he's got the, like, I don't even know, the lobotomy scar or whatever he's got. He's clearly taken a shot to the head at some point because he's got that wicked X
1: scar on his head. Yeah. So, um, I, I'm sorry, I totally did um, able to talk about Zahir's hair there. but that, <laughs> That's all right. Did, am I the okay,
2: I guess this is a paul you you're gonna love to answer this question. Am I really dumb yes because because I didn't from the fir- the first scene where he introduces himself as yoru i didn't in that scene I did not realize that was a here
0: um well it funny you should say that because the um the the writers actually addressed that they they said. For the record, we'd never thought that we were pulling one over on the audience. They like their intention in that scene when he pops up and says, I'm, I'm Yoru or whatever he called himself. We didn't think that the audience wouldn't figure out who it was.
2: Um, Really? Right. And I, I get that. But, but for me, like, I, I even understand that in the context of the episode, but for me, I did not, uh did not realize that at first. Like when he <laughs> showed up, I, I very clearly was like, well, Oh, he's, he's, you know, your, is up to no good, but <laughs> it, it wasn't until his second scene where, and it was actually because I, I had turned away from the screen
0: for a second and I was just hearing his voice. Uh-huh. It's like, Oh shit, that's Henry Rollins. Well, see in, in that first scene with shaved stealth, Zaheer, um, there, you know, I, I, I will mock you and say that you're stupid, but in reality, I I don't necessarily blame you, except there is one line delivery he gives where I very distinctly can hear uh, Henry Rollins in the voice. And it's when he says, "Uh, two weeks ago, I woke up and suddenly I could do this. And he does the little like swirling air in the palm of his hand. The way he says that line, I was like, well, that sounds just like Henry Rollins. So I'm surprised that that didn't give it away for you.
2: Yeah, it, it it did not. But I will say this design, and Eric uh, just showed you and I, Paul, the three separate yeah. hairstyles. Um, this design, much more in line with a face I can imagine Henry, Henry, Henry Rollins', Rollins. voice coming out of.
0: It's it's interesting. He yeah. actually looks older and gruffer now that he's clean-shaven than he does in certainly that second picture of him with the, the nicely yeah. coiffed hair and trimmed
1: beard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I do love the he morphs, and he slowly morphs into Henry Rollins he does. over the course of these <laughs> five episodes. He does. He, uh, that's
0: his his Pokemon evolution, his final stage. <laughs> <of violence>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, so we we can now we can get to the the Lin Sue fight.
2: Hey, back to well, back to Kaya for a second.
0: Okay. Kaya gets
2: crazy cool water arms in that scene too. Yeah. Did we see Katara do stuff like that, like with the yeah. actual like around arms?
0: Yeah, we did in, oh, well, in fact uh it, it was pretty uh she used it pretty well in the fight with um at the end of book 3 i guess at, at Se, uh, bossing say right before Aang got zapped by azula uh, when she's fight when zuko like turns on them she's fighting against that's zuko r- and, that's
2: right okay i i do have a memory of that yeah she
0: did it in that fight um so I
2: do have a question about Zaheer before we move back to Lin and Sue. Did we find out why Zaheer was there? Like why while he was, was tra- why he was at the Air Temple? Yeah,
1: he was trying. He thought the Avatar was going to show up. Yeah, he's trying to that, find that. He, yeah, he because he thought because remember there's a point where she says like the Tenzin is coming to pick them up or whatever, and he goes, "Oh, the Avatar with them," and she goes, right. "No," and yeah. he like he has an immediate palpable disappointment as soon as she says the avatar isn't coming i am not very smart you guys (laughs) so
2: anyway back to lynn and sue Uh, that uh that fight between the two of them is incredibly emotional it's i'm not sure it's on the same level as say the fight between zuko and azula yeah but it's it's somewhat in the same mold. Obviously, neither of them is going for the kill, but it, it's it's a very emotional fight. And it, it what what puts Lynn over the edge is when uh, Sue says, you know, well, n- now I, I now or no wonder Tenzin ended things with you years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that puts uh, Lynn over the edge, and they have that great fight between the two of them.
0: So here's my, my very favorite thing about that fight. Um, the, again, it's the choreography. In this case, it's emotional choreography, but also physical choreography um, because the, the animators specifically wanted to show that Yin uses a bending style that's much more traditional and very closely mimics Toff's fighting style. Uh, and they went so far as to go back and reference the blind bandit uh, and, and and previous animation of Toph from uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender, and some of the some of the moves, the way that Toph, uh, the forms that she used when she was performing her bending, they have Su Yin do the same or very similar moves. Whereas Lin is much more of a a modern style uh, in the way that she bends. And just watching awesome. the two different styles between them. And then once I once I read about the. The the Suyin using Toff style, you know, when I when I watched the fight again, I was like, holy shit, that is so that's so amazing that they went that far. And I'm not entirely sure that's the kind of thing that maybe on the, my thirtieth or fortieth rewatch I might have picked that up, but I don't know. It's it's one of those subliminal things
2: that they throw at you. The care and attention to detail uh, in these shows is just astounding we what did we do what did american you know tv animation do to deserve what did nickelodeon (laughs) do to deserve something like this
0: i don't know they
1: squander it too
2: exactly that they that they scuttled to uh, streaming only at some point
1: yeah Yeah, we we are and we are fast reaching the scuttling point actually i know it was some point during the middle of the season so
2: that's that's fucked at this point weren't they weren't they burning them off two at a time on air,
0: they were, and apparently that's because these three episodes that we've talked about tonight and the the last one last uh, I almost said last week, but anyways, apparently four episodes were leaked. Uh, the the, oh, the Mexican, uh, uh, not sponsor, but Mexican Nickelodeon or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Mexican. That, Nickelodeon. That's that's what they're referred to. It's it's, it's the. Nice. Oh no, it's just, it's Anyways, they leaked these four episodes, so people watched these. Um, like out of sequence or before they were meant to air. And so um, that's one of the reasons why they started just throwing these episodes out really quickly. They were trying to catch up. They were trying to get stuff out there before too many things got spoiled, I guess.
2: You see. Well, in any case, Nickelodeon did nothing to deserve a show this good. <laughs> that's true. Um, no. But yeah, no. And, and I like that during the fight, Cora is unsure Mm -hmm. like she asks bolin at one point like should i stop them and bolin's response is you don't have you don't have siblings fighting is all part of the healing process Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so i I like how they have to work through this extreme sibling
1: rivalry within a a a metal bending fight yeah that was great I, i mean and it gets i do like that everyone's okay with it until but like opal is having none of this um, yeah. they need to have, they need to duke it out thing. Um, but Bolin is totally cool with that. And he convinces Cora, but as soon as Opal walks in, Opal is, is decidedly not pleased. And also one of the few people that her mom would listen to at that moment. So uh,
0: also the sons were, were fine with it too. Cause they came out and they were like, go mom. They were like cheering. Yeah. W- soon, way huh? and wing. Yeah.
2: And then one, the other son, who's the, the, he's the real liberal arts major.
0: The, the emo uh, artist student yeah
2: yeah yeah he uh he seems sort of he, he's not that that concerned about it until they knock over his sculpture <laughs> and crush it and he's like my sculpture which is which i don't know is that a call back to my cabbages um <laughs> but he goes he goes my sculpture actually it
1: looks better now so is how appropriate is it that um that in, this is this is um Suyin's son, too, right? Am I right about that? Yeah. 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 So how appropriate is it that um, Toft's grandson is basically the Dark One? Yes! Oh! I had, <laughs>
0: yes, I had that same thought. Oh my god, I hadn't even thought of that. Wow. That's yeah.
1: awesome. Maybe
0: he's one of the fathers. Maybe. God, how horrible uh, would that be?
2: I was gonna say maybe maybe uh, Suyin's dad is the Dark One.
0: <laughs> we all know.
1: Or at least, I don't know. Um, I mean, uh, my my headcanon is that the dark one was um, his, Juan's um, art teacher. That's... <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Um, but I, I really
2: like Opal after these two episodes. I like the fact that she's very... She's very pure. And what I mean by that is she's very straightforward and honest. She has nothing to do with these deceptions or mind games. She wants to be very open about everything to the point where, you know, there's that attraction between her and Bolin. And Bolin, you know, whenever he's around a girl that he knows likes him, he gets all... Like, he tries to puff his chest up and and talk like a tough guy. And she straight up says i don't like the way you're talking to me
0: yeah so we've talked about in the past how how borderline creepy bolin can get when he's
2: very true especially with gosh i don't even remember her name the 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 busty redhead from yeah i don't don't remember
0: it either the the mover star yeah um yeah so i love the fact that she kind of calls him on his his creepy bro attitude
2: yeah, and, and there's a, that uh, great scene where they're talking to each other about, you know, their their fears and concerns, and he's all like, "Look at us, you know, the support, being all supportive of each other." And I, I really like that. I like that she's bringing out that side of him, and I like the fact that she just doesn't have any interest in in any of these in any of these dramatic things that all these characters go through. So it makes perfect sense that she's the one who steps in and tells them to stop fighting. Hmm. And then, yeah, Lynn, Lynn faints because she's fragile after the, she's in a fragile state after the acupuncture. Um, And then she seems to be in a markedly different mood following the fight.
0: You know, Lynn has, I think Lynn has the fewest costume changes Throughout the series, of like any of the main characters, she's almost always in the same, in her police outfit. We very rarely see her in anything else. Um, So
1: these. Do you think it's the same police outfit, or do you think she has like 30 of them?
0: (laughs) Well, I hope she has 30 of them, uh, just for the delicate sense of smell of the people around her. But I just, I appreciate the fact that in these two episodes, we get to see her in various. Um, like outfits or states of this sound terrible, but states of undress, like when she's just wearing the undershirt, when she goes to the, the acupuncturist and the, when she, when they knock on the door and she comes out and she's wearing the sort of Zhao fu outfit. That is, that is beautiful. She is, she's gorgeous in that shot. Um, And I like that
2: Lynn, who 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 tried to be her mother as much as possible is the one who counsels Opal mm-hmm. to, to not do the thing, the, to, to, not, uh, only to, to not, how am I trying to say this? To not, not do something because she doesn't want to upset her mom.
0: Right. Don't, don't just try to please your mother. Yeah, exactly.
2: I, I, I loved that. And I love the conversation that Lynn and Sue have, um, where they talk about, you know, their mom and and just their relationship and they seem to be on better more understanding terms though when su yin says that she's going to need a co-director for her new dance performance Lin's like whoa slow down how about for now i just promise not to show up at your house and attack you again
0: yeah um and i think so, i think it's yeah. great that they shake hands they don't hug they're they're not quite that yeah. they they haven't moved that far along in their recovery yeah
1: so so yeah. Um, I, I don't want us to, I hate to have to like move from like this really amazing emotional stuff to something much smaller and, um, less uh, impactful, but, uh, I, I don't think we really talked about the, um, the metal bending teaching. Yeah. I I did want to mention that. Um, and which I, which I, I like, but the what I, the question I have is, so they use in order to teach metal bending, they use this meteorite, I think. Um, which is easier to metal bend. Is that what Sokka's sword was made out of, or is this a different material?
0: I, well, I mean, they don't, uh, confirm. She says she's a collector of rare meteorites. Um, so they, it, they probably come from various places, but it might be the same material. She's totally Sokka's daughter. (laughs) I mean, Toph did have a piece of that meteorite. Remember she had her fancy bracelet. Right. Um, and in fact, when when uh, Sue is demonstrating for Cora how easy it is to manipulate, she creates uh, all those weird shapes, like the the polyhedrons or whatever, as she's warping it. Uh, I feel like that's uh, toft did the same thing with her little piece of meteorite, didn't she? When she was demonstrating how easy it was, didn't she make the same shapes?
1: Yeah, maybe she did. That's a good point. So I don't know if it's I, the I, exact I, is, same it, this... meteorite, but. The, the, this is probably a easily Googleable answer, and I probably should have before the thing happened. Uh, and I actually intended to, but since we were here, I thought maybe someone had the answer. But I, I love. First of all, I love that meteorite um, the, and their, its use in um, metal bending. And I, I, we are going to see more of that that uh, style of metal bending throughout the series, and it results in some pretty cool stuff, as I recall. Yep. Um, so we will. We have, it is not just a little trick dropped into this, but I. What I really love about this is Korra's fast picking up metal bending, which is cool that an avatar who doesn't usually, like, Aang never picked up any, like, special techniques. He really struggled with those for the most part, other than, like, his own, like, bending. Korra picks up metal bending right out, and poor Bolin, who's a natural earthbender, cannot pick it up. Mm -hmm. And he is super bummed. And I I really like that little note. It's a very small note in that episode, but I, I really like it. Um,
2: and Hey, you reminded me just as far as the training goes, I, I don't want to skip over this. We see Cora for the first time teaching someone something.
0: Yeah. <clears> in, <throat> a, in an absolutely beautiful, uh, scene that, uh, that, that scene in the background in that scene, uh, was inspired by a painting by Maxfield Parrish. I don't remember the specific painting, but that, that's just the mood they were trying to capture with that. And I thought it was gorgeous. Very nice
2: yeah it was it it was a very beautiful scene and the their movements were so graceful as she was teaching opal and then they even had that so there's that great overhead shot of the two of them airbending and then they do a, a transition fade to um an overhead shot back at the northern air temple of one of the new airbenders fucking like bouncing around like a pin pinball uh between those panels the spinning i thought that gates, was fun yeah. too
0: be the leaf i don't even know what that means <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, man, that was great um so i think the the other big thing that i want to talk about here um in fact it might be the most important thing in any of these episodes and we haven't even gotten to it is um Varick is back
0: i wondered if we were gonna <laughs> forget him
2: <laughs> oh no i will i will never forget Varick. my when he showed up in my notes i typed in all caps Verrick in like in five thousand exclamation points, and then in parentheses, <laughs> um, so, and Julie. So, and I love I fuck from right from the his his first entrance uh, in this season. Asami's like, "What are you doing here?" And he goes, "Great question, Asami. I mean, what are any of us doing here?" Wow, food for thought.
0: <laughs> I mean, God. there is there is no scene varic is in that is wasted. <laughs>
2: I have seen the future, and the future is magnets. <laughs> magnets,
1: how do they work? <laughs> oh, man. oh, God, that, oh the no. Whole, the, the whole magnet suit and, like, yeah, the, like Julie the will suit clean suit. this up as, like, peak varic- Julie. God, I... Fucking love it so much.
2: I I don't even care if he if he is completely gonna be peripheral to to any plot that might happen. I'm just so fucking glad Varric is back in some capacity.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. It's it is always a joy to see Varric and um his. And I I had forgotten about the magnet suit, and though I know chunks of things about the you know i know a lot about the series going forward i'm trying to figure out if that magnet suit either tangentially or directly plays into something later and i can't remember because it it feels like it feels like one of those let's set something up kind of moments because it's funny but avatar doesn't usually waste moments either but i can't remember if if anything about magnet suit Pops up again or anything related to magnitude so we'll keep we're on magnet suit watch i the-
0: <laughs> I'll just point out in that scene uh where um that arlo just referenced where he said i've seen the future and the future is magnets uh he he goes into you know i'm i'm uh i have some ideas for uh for train design and and rapid transit and that's not all and then he gets cut off so we don't get to hear what that's not all means so I'll just leave that laying on the table um we'll see if that ever okay. comes all right. right
2: a couple other lines i wanted to to point out um are the the, the random uh like security guards or whatever in <laughs> how Zafu or or like, do? how many push-ups did you do last night because i did like 50 like that was, that was great, and then actually, uh, Zaheer had the the other line I wanted to mention when he's talking to Kaya and he's trying to like tell her his fake background, a small village up north, probably never heard of it. Yeah, he's like, such a fucking such a fucking hipster. Hipsters, Zahir. Mm-hmm. We are going not n- not this episode, but we're going to use a black flag song at some point. We probably during should. the season. We probably should. We, we we need to. Yeah, we need to. The the last question that I have you guys is at the end when Zaheer pinpoints where Cora is, is he using the same sort of astral projection that Genora
0: uh, uses? Hmm. Hmm. My, I can neither okay. confirm nor deny. My final note okay. here. My final note here is, uh oh, how did Zahir figure out where Cora is? <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it in exactly that tone of voice too.
2: Nice. Um, Oh, also, another stray line from The Chef. I call it the kale nutsko. It's a mixture of kale, coconut
0: water, and walnuts. Yes, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to point out the the writers have confirmed that is a reference to uh, Brian Knitsko. Because he's a... a... He's a vegan, and he he has this—they call it a disgusting habit of drinking raw vegan smoothies—and so the the kale nutsko is a reference to Kanitsko. That's awesome!
2: Amazing. And he's a vegan, and yet he existing in his world is Sokka, who's right. a ravenous meat eater. <laughs> right. I I love that.
1: Oh man! Do so. What else did you guys have? We. We hit a lot of what I did, but I I mean, like we talked about a lot of the really big moments. I I think that um, I think that the overall about this that um, makes me excited is that this this season is expanding the world in really interesting ways that season two kind of failed to do with its uh, weird spirit. Oh, sorry. Weirdly executed spirit story. Um, It never really expanded like what the world of Korra feels like. And in this. Uh, between the, like, I love this idea of, like, like the more we learn about Zahir's group, there's, like, the fact that there is this, like, um, like revolutionary group that was so dangerous they locked them up at some point in the past, and we don't really understand their motives. It's, just, like, interesting. It's not tied to any bad guy that we knew. They seem to have their own agenda. But also, um, Fu is a gorgeous piece of architecture yes. and just an amazing city. And really kind of trades in on what we're learning about like the expansion of the Republic and, um, and the earth kingdom and the fact that we have this like new type of city and everything about this, this season is making the world feel alive and vibrant and new in the way that season one did. And I'm, I'm really excited by that. Um, and the one other call out, the old wounds, which we all um seem to really like, um, was written by Katie Matilla. Yeah, I was gonna bring that. Who also up.
0: wrote The Beach. Yeah, I was gonna mention that. Oh
1: nice. Nice. She <laughs> taught, like she has like like the maybe their best writer of like interesting character background studies. I mean, the beach plays at the same kind of game mm-hmm. of like delving into family, like the trauma of your family, whether it's a good family or not. And, um, nails it again in a completely different way. There's nothing about this episode. Otherwise that would feel like it's the same episode, the same writer, but it is, I think she's their top writer and that's why I wanted to call it out. I, I, uh,
0: I can't believe this just dawned on me, but, uh, she wrote this episode, she wrote old wounds, but in the previous episode, the metal clan, when I think it was the, I think that's where it was when Sue is sort of explaining to, uh, Cora, like how she grew up and where, like, you know, I, I wandered the earth and joined a circus and, uh, you know, met some pirates or whatever. When she's telling all that story and the camera is panning over her bookcase and showing all these things, um, two things worth pointing out. She had a little uh, uh, painted lady figure on the shelf. And when she nice. mentions, you know, I, I traveled with a circus for a while, the picture on there, that uh, it, it goes by really quick. So I don't know if you saw it, but it's a picture of presumably a young Sue with a circus troupe, and apparently they just recycled a picture from uh, Avatar of uh, Tylee's circus group. So, so they haven't uh, confirmed or denied that it's the same that it's meant to be the same circus, but the picture is the a recycled picture of Tylee's
1: circus troupe or whatever love it so love it um just oh sorry to declare that not only did um katie Matella write the beat she also wrote that wrote the uh, the tale of zuko from tales of bossing Nice. and has nice. not been a part of the show since then but she does have two episodes in season four so
0: awesome all right well just a, a last few uh little trivia things i guess that i'll bring up um first of all i love the dance troupe that we see um sue working with yes uh because the idea of dance being somehow translatable into into combat is a thing that i am particularly fond of uh at the moment for for a future Delhi counter of justice reasons <laughs> um so i loved that whole thing uh the Power Disc game that uh, that Wing and Wei apparently created—it's uh, cool and all, but all that really did is remind me how much I miss Pro bending. Yes, yeah. I really, I, I really miss that. It, it shocks me to say that because when the series first started, I was like, "Oh, what is this Pro bending crap?" But God, I miss it. Um, what else do we have? I don't know if either of you noticed this, or, and we just haven't mentioned it, but did you see who did the voices for Young Su Yin and Young Lin? No. Young Su Yin is voiced by Jesse Flower, who did the voice of Toph. Oh nice. And young Lin is voiced by uh, Grey Griffin. That is awesome. Who who also so cool. who also does the voice of Ming Hua, as a matter of fact. So
2: So cool. Oh, I wanted to ask, this flashback with Toph, is this the first time we've seen adult Toph? No, we saw her. I think so. We
0: well, we. Oh. I don't remember if she spoke, but we saw her in the courtroom scenes of Yakone,
2: right?
1: In book. 1. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. She was in that. Yeah, but I don't think she spoke. No. Or not much. It was. It was pretty. It was. Those were pretty minimal. Minimal scenes. So. Yeah. That's very. That's very cool. And yeah, there's actually a lot of really uh, great voice actors getting wheeled out into the season. My my fav. My favorite addition being Opal was voiced by. Um, uh, Step Up's own Allison Stoner.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, anyways, um, I, I guess anything else either of you had? No, uh,
2: no, just that I'm super glad to be back. I I think this was a fantastic way to re-enter uh, the world of Korra and Avatar, and I'm I'm pumped to do this again. Me too
0: okay well uh we we have some off mic schedule discussions to have so i can't make a promise when our next episode is going to be it It will not be be, four months it will not be four months from now i can i can promise you that i feel like we can say that but uh anyways uh there there will be another episode uh within the next four months but we have to talk about that uh once we're done here uh in the meantime uh first i want to thank my co-hosts arlo eric thank you so much for coming back we could have just forgotten about this whole crazy project and uh i'm glad that uh, we didn't i'm glad that we came back to continue on this on this wonderful journey as we walk the earth of avatar
1: very poetic and i'm glad to be back it's exciting to be back there's no way i'd let this go not with not with my two favorite um Runs of the show ahead
0: Yeah, I I, want to say I'll mention briefly And and I'll talk more about this in the future I guess But I kind of had a a Skype chat with Eric the other night uh, Where I was Confessing to him that I've lost track of Over the course of this Podcast series What my claims Of my thoughts on season Three and four were going to be I can't remember if I had said, I remember hating season three. Um, I, I don't know. What I do remember is that I was, I've never really been comfortable with Zaheer, um, as, and maybe it's because of him being overpowered. I don't know. But for whatever reason, just in these first six episodes to be back in book three, um, all of season three, all of book three has come flooding back to me. I feel like I remember everything that's going to happen now. Um, and, and I told Eric, it's entirely possible that book three is my favorite of, of the entire series of uh, Korra. We'll see what happens when we get into book four. Maybe I'll go, oh, I remember this now. This is my favorite season. But uh, I would say for as much as I loved books one and two, book three uh, kind of blows them, blows them both away, in my opinion.
1: What whatever episode, whatever season I end up thinking my favorite will be, and I, I suspect I'll stay on four just for a lot of reasons. One of which is just I like endings. But I will say that I don't think there's a better, um, con- like the better connected sequence of events than season three and four of Korra. So much everything that's going into season three, everything we're building through this season is going to set the stage for the for season four in a way um, that is as um for me the the same kind of strong punches they laid down through season two at the end of season two of avatar to set up season four or season season three of that so i'm excited being in this whatever i think at the end of this season whether i like it more whether i don't like it more um it's exciting to be here because these next this this season and next are a tightly linked thematic through line and that makes me really excited so yes
0: pumped all right so um thank both of you for coming back uh and thank all of our listeners everybody listening to me right now thank you so much for sticking with us um uh, f- uh for joining us as always uh you can find links to this and all of our various past episodes at the website theavatarreturns.com. damn that reminds me i'm gonna have to now that we're back to recording episodes i'm gonna have to start posting <laughs> again I hate writing episode descriptions. That's why I make Arlo do it for our other show. Um, anyways, theavatarreturns.com. Uh, links will also be posted on our parent show site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com. Uh, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Make sure you never miss another exciting episode. While you're there, uh, please be a hero and rate us or write us a review. Help spread the word. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, uh, we do have – we in the past four months, I have gotten some – some new listeners who have just discovered us and decided to write in. So, um, I appreciate you guys. Scud pie show out there. Danielle, um, Ken has written to us. Uh, anyways, if you'd like, Ken doesn't count. I know he's not real. Uh, he's our made up friend. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, please send your, Ken
2: is fake news.
0: (laughs) Please send your correspondence to, uh, care of monkey Yahtzee, uh, at tarpodcast at gmail.com and of course you can always find us on social media facebook.com slash theavatar returns or twitter.com slash tar podcast and on twitter i am at haunt1013 eric is at salon that's s-a-a-l-o-n and arlo is at unplugged crazy so next week month whatever next episode we are uh, the changes continue Uh, we're gonna discuss three more chapters and Arlo, here's where you get to. I'll tell you the titles of the next three chapters we're going to discuss. You get to give us your predictions. Yeah. Let's based do on this. Titles. All right. So, uh, chapter 307 Original Airbenders.
2: Um, it's going to be like the original uh, Kings of Comedy. Uh, Aang and Monkey Yahtzee and shit are just going to be up on stage cracking jokes.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: Directed by Spike Lee.
0: <laughs> oh, Wow uh chapter 308 the terror within
2: uh that is going to be a remake of the obscure uh, 1963 Roger Corman film the terror which starred a young Jack Nicholson can't wait to see how they bring that to the avatar universe
0: and it's amazing um and uh chapter 309 the stakeout
2: uh the stakeout um <laughs> Uh, because Kanetsko is a, a, a vegan, all the lo- local restaurants are out of steak. <laughs> it's the big steakhouse.
0: I I, I just want to say my favorite running gag is that, Arlo, you always manage to come up with amazing <laughs> predictions for the first two, and you you crap the bed on the third one every time. I don't understand. Every time.
2: Every uh, time. All right. Uh, you can only be asked to do so much improv
0: <laughs> in third <laughs> seconds, Paul. uh, Tune in next time to see how many of those predictions of Arlo's uh, turn out to be correct. Uh, (laughs) Until then, I'll be here just thinking about my body and mustaches I might have in the future. I hate